Right, let me pray. Father, we thank you for this uh, part of the Bible that challenges us, uh, particularly in our world today, that gives us lots to think about, to reflect on. And we pray very much that you would speak clearly to us, help us to see how this points us to Jesus, to the good news about him that this letter of Romans testifies to. Thank you that um, by your Holy Spirit, you have the power to open our eyes, soften our hearts so that we can see and understand clearly. Please would you help us now as we look at these words. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, just over a year ago, which uh, is definitely BC, isn't it? A year ago, before COVID, a long time ago, and therefore lost in the mists of time, uh, the Church of England bishops issued a press release after the law on civil partnerships was changed to permit civil partnerships between opposite-sex couples as well as same-sex couples. I wonder if you remember this. And uh, the statements reaffirmed what the church and Christians around the world have for the last 2,000 years believed and taught about sex and marriage, that marriage is God's design, that it's for a man and a woman, and sex is also God's design in its proper places within a marriage between a man and a woman, and not before that and not outside of that. And uh, as they sort of reaffirmed what the church has has always taught uh, in the context of the, the change in the law and civil partnerships, there was a big outcry in the media, including uh, you know, accusations that the church and Christians are obsessed with sex and they're out of touch with the culture, and you can probably remember the kinds of things. And, um, you know, the media portrayal of Christians as obsessed with sex probably has slightly more to do with the fact that the media only tends to report what bishops and the, you know, the church and everybody else says about sex, and they tend to completely ignore anything else that is um, said publicly. So that, in one sense, is all that the media let us hear about. But even in seeing that, that in itself, I think, points us to the fact that the world we live in, at least in the West, really is obsessed with sex. And it's a world where attitudes to sex and sexuality, and particularly homosexuality, have massively and very, very quickly changed in the last few decades. So a church that maintains that marriage is for a man and a woman and the right place for sex is within marriage is now massively out of step with where our culture is today. So, is that a problem? Well, for Christians who believe that the Bible is God's word and who want to take the Bible seriously today, what then are we to, to, to make of these uh, uh, passages like this in, in Romans chapter 1, where we read very countercultural things, um, but teaching and defending the idea that God's design for sex is for marriage between a man and a woman. What are we to do with these things? Now, if this is your first time with us at St. John's, whether here in the building or online, uh, it's probably helpful to know that, that this is not the sort of thing that we focus on week in, week out. We're not always talking about sex and sexuality. Uh, what we do generally is we work through books of the Bible and we seek to listen and to understand 
what we find in front of us in God's word because we believe that the Bible is God's word to his people today, just as it was for the first readers 2,000 years ago. And so as we work through this letter to the Romans, here is where we find ourselves this morning. And that's why we're trying to seek to understand what these things are saying to us. And this letter to the Romans, as we've seen over the last couple of weeks, if you've seen with us, is also not primarily about sex. It is primarily about God and the good news that God sent his son into the world to die for sinners so that anyone who puts their faith in Jesus can be declared right with God and can live in new relationship, united with him. And it's a message then that's designed to unite its readers in mission, reaching out to the world so that the rest of the world too can know this Jesus. So knowing who God is and what he is like gives us confidence that what he says about human beings and about human relationships and the way he's designed us is for our good and for our flourishing. We need to know that about God from the rest of the Bible to take him at his word when we read challenging things like this. And it may be that sitting here this morning we find it really hard to believe that there could be any valid criticism of consensual committed relationships outside of marriage, uh, whether that's opposite or same-sex couples. And I, I know as we all listen to this, this will affect us all in, in different ways. It may be deeply personal, it may be deeply painful. But what we need to be clear about from the outset is that Paul's aim in these verses is not somehow to pick on one minority in society and say that, you know, these are, that here is the problem. That's not what he's doing. And we, we began to see last week, if you were with us, and we focused on verses 18 to 23, that he, he's showing in this section of the book that every human being that God has made has rejected the God who made us. Every human being is a sinner who deserves, and it, it's strong language back in verse 18, it deserves God's wrath, his anger. Every human being is without excuse. Every human being has been handed over to sin, as we see in these verses. This is every human being's problem. But more than that, there is good news. Because every human being who hears the gospel, the good news about Jesus, has the opportunity to trust him as their saviour, to be forgiven for their sin, to live a new life in Christ. And so these verses, as we began to see last week, give us the diagnosis for why we need the medicine of the gospel, this good news about Jesus. And we saw God's wrath is coming because human beings suppress the truth in verses 18 to 20, that God's wrath is coming because human beings have exchanged his glory for idols, verses 21 to 23, and God in his wrath has handed human beings over to their sin. And that's what we continue to look at this morning. Do you remember human beings have said to God, we don't want you as our king? And he says, okay then, go and live as you want in that case. Go and live without reference to me and see how it works out for you. See, in, the, in these verses, as a, as a friend of mine put, puts it, we see the crime is the punishment as God hands us over to our sin. And he does it in two particular areas of our lives he talks about in these verses. First, in verses 24 to 27, in our desires. And then secondly, in verses 28 to 32, in our minds. He hands us this over 
to, to those things. So let's see first of all then uh, that how um, we see in verses 24 to 27 that we're given over to sinful desires because of our idolatry, because of worshipping created things instead of the creator. He gives us over to our sinful desires. So what Paul is saying in these verses is that one symptom of how God in his wrath has given human beings over to sin is in sexual desires that go against his plan and intention for human beings. Now it's worth saying clearly, this is about all sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman. We heard in the first reading the origins of marriage in Genesis chapter 2. And that understanding of marriage between a man and a woman is reflected in the rest of the Bible's teaching on this. And indeed, Jesus affirms that directly in Matthew chapter 19. But here, but verse 24, he, Paul speaks first of any sexual impurity that goes beyond that design. And then verse 26, he speaks particularly of same-sex sexual relationships as one example of that sexual impurity. Now, obviously, this raises huge questions for us to think about. Just about a year ago, uh, we had an evening with the True Freedom Trust, um, who work to support um, Christians who experience same-sex attraction. And uh, they came into an evening and there was a talk and a chance to ask questions. And that's still on our website. And I really recommend from the outset that, you, that if you want to think more about this, you go and have a listen to that uh, evening with the True Freedom Trust uh, on the talks on our website. Um, but for now, what we're going to do is try and answer a few questions about these verses in particular to help us understand this. We need to ask, why is this here? He was talking a moment ago about idolatry. So why now turn specifically to homosexual practice? Why focus on this, Paul? We need to ask then if we're reading this right. Now, is this really actually about what we think of as homosexuality today, including committed same-sex partnerships and marriage? Is that really what Paul has in view? And then we need to ask, can we really believe this in the 21st century? So why is this here? Are we reading this right? Can we really believe this today? So let's, let's think about those things. So why is this here? Well, verse 25 is the key to understanding this. He, he has said God gave them over to sexual impurity, but then he returns in, verses, in verse 25 to the theme of, of what he was on before, to verses 21 to 23. He restates it. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And then again, he goes back, verse 26, God gave them over. So he's kind of interweaving these two themes of idolatry and then being given over to sexual impurity in, in, in different ways. So the point is, this is not a random restriction that either God or Paul have come up with, but that in handing over human beings to their sin, there is something particularly apt about sexual impurity and in particular about homosexual sin. Now, one commentator called Simon Gathercole puts it like this. In verses 21 to 23, Paul shows humanity turned in on itself. In other words, human beings turn from worshipping God to worshipping themselves and to worshipping created things. Humanity turned in on itself. And then in verses 24 to 27, what we see are male and female turned in on themselves. 
So do you see? The point is, sex itself was designed by God to reflect union in difference. Male and female, different from one another, coming together in the union of marriage, and not merely for each other's pleasure, but in order to illustrate the relationship between God and his creatures of union, committed union in difference. Because God and his creatures are different but united in Christ. And, and we see, you know, in Ephesians chapter 5, we see how marriage is a picture of that relationship. And that means that sex in any other context, sex between two people who live together but are not married, for example, as well as sex between two people of the same sex, that is going against how God has designed human beings. Do you see? But remember then why he's saying this. It's a picture of how we can see God giving his world over to idolatry and sin. And that helps us to see what he means at the end of verse 27, uh, the due penalty for their error, he talks about, their perversion, he says here in, in the NIV. Uh, it, it seems to be this same sex activity in itself. Like we're given over to that. That is the penalty. This is what God has given human beings over to in response to our idolatry. Now, he's talking in very general terms here. He's not talking about specific individuals. This is not saying that somehow a particular individual who experiences same-sex attraction is somehow more of a sinner than someone who doesn't. And we know that because of the general reference to sexual impurity in verse 24, and also the much wider range of sins in verses 28 to 32, which again will affect different people to different degrees in different ways. So the point is not, well, if you're straight and married, you know, you're off the hook, everything's rosy, but rather here is a wide range of ways that we see the judgment of God in handing over sinners to their desires to have life without reference to him. The crime is the punishment. And it's, it's simply that, as he explains it like this, that same-sex sexual activity is particularly apt in illustrating Humanity turned in on itself instead of worshipping God and living according to his design. So do you see, that begins to answer why this is here, because it, it is a particular illustration of the way we have stopped worshipping the God who made us, and we worship created things instead. But okay, then, if that's the case, are we then reading this correctly? in the 21st century. There are two things that some interpreters today want to say. They want to say, first of all, that Paul has in view the particular Roman sin of male slave owners sleeping with slave boys, which was a relatively widespread and you know, rather horrible thing that went on in, in the Roman culture. So, in other words, people today are saying, well, is he even aware of the possibility of consensual, loving, same-sex relationships when he writes this? But the issue with saying that is that if you look at the verses, he specifically highlights lesbian sexual relationships, which weren't very well known at all in that world. So he does seem to be speaking beyond just what was known in Roman culture, for example. And in the light of the rest of the Bible's teaching about same-sex sexual activity in both Old and New Testaments, as well as Jesus' own positive affirmation of marriage as the place for sex, it is, it's clear that Paul has the widest sense of same-sex sexual relationships in view in these verses. 
There's also a question about what it means to exchange natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. So some people want to say, well, does he, surely he just means heterosexual people acting like homosexual people against their nature. Can you see why somebody might argue that? But again, reading in, in this context makes it clear that the nature he has in view, when he says against uh, abandoning natural relations, the context is the nature of the way God has created the world and his design for the world. That is what we were talking about in verses 21 to 23, and it's the abandoning that design that then leads human beings to be given over in this way. So it's suppressing the truth about the way God has designed the world that is in view here. So that's what it means when it says against nature. And actually, the, the idea of orientation, of sexual orientation, is not something the Bible really talks about. It doesn't use that kind of term. It's concerned about sexual activity, but not about or orientation is a kind of modern way of thinking about these things. So, are we reading this right? I think that is what it's saying. Can we then really believe this today in the 21st century? Well, I think one of the issues underlying this is that our wider culture proclaims the idea that unless you are sexually fulfilled, you are somehow less than fully human. Can you see that in, you know, when you turn on the TV, you watch things on Netflix or whatever, there is this always this underlying view of what it means to be human. And actually that idea has made its way even into parts of the wider church, which are arguing, for example, for churches to conduct same-sex weddings or same-sex blessings, and that conversation is going on at the moment. And the implication in the end is that if we believe and teach these things just as the church has done for the last 2,000 years, there are people today who want to say, no, that, that is causing harm now to, 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 to believe and teach what the church has always taught. Because, and the reason people want to say it's causing harm is because it's not allowing individuals to be themselves, to express themselves sexually. But you see, that, that idea rests on the assumption that the only way to be fulfilled as a human being <clears throat> is to express yourself sexually in that way, which surely is part of the idolatry that Paul highlighted in the first place in verses 21 to 23. You see, it's taking something good that God created and turning it into an ultimate thing, of saying, you know, if I don't have this thing, this created thing in, in God's world that he created, if I don't have that, um, then I am less than fully human. Whereas in the Bible what we see is to be human is to be a creature made by God, to live, in, to be made in his image, to live according to his design. And see the fact is following Jesus is never easy. It's often countercultural, and every disciple of Jesus is called to deny themselves and take up their cross and follow Jesus. Now, obviously this is, um, looks different for different people. There's been an excellent video made recently by the Church of England Evangelical Council called A Beautiful Story, which features uh, testimonies from a wide range of people, some who are same-sex attracted, some single, as well as some church leaders exploring how there is more to life than who you are or aren't sleeping with. So what I thought we'd do is I'll just show you a, a minutes long uh, trailer now. Um, so if you get ready with the sounds, 
um, and we just watch this to get a sense of what they're saying. The last few years have sadly shown that the sexual revolution has not delivered. Numerous people bruised, badly damaged by what the sexual revolution has breached. I used to think that I needed to meet someone and I needed to be married in order to be complete as a person. We were created to be sexual beings. We were made to love and to be loved. So it's not a surprise that this feels huge to us. The Bible's so clear that God's gift of sex is within marriage, which is for a man and a woman. Why would that possibly be good news? Marriage is not just simply a social contract. It's much, much more than that. Sexuality, romance, love, find their meaning and purpose in the context of this bigger story. I believe that Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But I also sense that God doesn't take this lightly. So if you want to, um, if we just go back to that. Um, if you want to... Uh, look that up you can go to ceec.info and find that there it's about half an hour long um, with uh, different people you'll also find it on youtube if you search for ceec beautiful story um, and uh, watch that but i really recommend doing that but we we need to remember where we where we started what the what, what this passage is doing in in romans that paul wants to give his readers good news about forgiveness about God's love for sinners. In, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, verses 9 to 11, uh, Paul writes, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? He says, Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And he goes on, but that, and that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. We can assume that there, that there would have been same-sex attracted people among Paul's first hearers, just as there may well be listening to this now. And, and then and now there is a welcome to anybody who comes to trust in Jesus. There is no place for homophobic treatment of individuals that mistreats people because of their sexual attraction. He specifically calls out a lack of love and mercy later on in these verses, um, and uh, in verse 31. So that the, the way that we express ourselves as Christians, the way we talk about these things really matters. The way we treat individuals who may experience these things or, or be struggling with these things that that really matters. Now, of course, some people would say, as we think about this, some people would say, well, the only way to love a gay person is to affirm absolutely everything about them and their lifestyle. You know, anything short of that isn't love, people would say. 
Paul and the Bible want to say we can simultaneously love somebody and love one another without approving of what God calls sin and without going against his design for human beings. So it's important to see that underlying that disagreement, you know, that I'm, I'm sure we're all very conscious of in, in our world around us, but what does it mean to love and care for each other? Uh, underlying that disagreement are two mutually contradictory views of what human flourishing looks like. You see, one view says that the only thing that matters is that people should be allowed to express their sexual desires without anyone telling them that it's wrong. The other view says, no, there is a God who has designed his world and designed human beings in a particular way. And we can either trust him and listen to him when he tells us what sex is for, or we can suppress that truth. Remember verses 18 to 23, and we can do it our own way. But, but we also as Christians need to stop idolizing marriage itself as if that is the solution to everybody's problems. Because that doesn't help either, actually. And that can be just as much of an idol. In God's eyes, it's clear in the Bible, singleness and marriage equally reflect different aspects of God's love and faithfulness to his people. And if we're married, what we need most is Jesus in order to live faithfully as married people. If we're single, what we need most is Jesus to live faithfully as single people. It's also important to say that this isn't about expecting people to change their sexual orientation. As I said, the Bible doesn't speak in those terms. It's about activity and the right context for sex, not about our inner psychological life. But this is about realizing every Christian is called to say no to sin and to say yes to living God's way as forgiven sinners. All are welcome. All are called into that life of denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following Jesus. And that will look different for every Christian, single or married. And it will apply to not just the way that we act and the, the, the activity, but of course Jesus takes it further and applies to our, our desires and our lusts and the ways that we are tempted. Uh, it applies to all of those things. Um, and yet all of them we can bring to, uh, to Jesus, to the cross, to say we need forgiveness, we need a fresh start, we need to seek him more than we seek sin. So he gave them over to sinful desires. And then secondly, and much more briefly, we see here, he, he, he gave them over to depraved minds, verses 28 to 32. Remember, he, he's homed in on same-sex sexual activity because it's an apt picture of what it means to exchange the worship of God for the worship of created things, the worship of ourselves. But God also hands humanity over to a whole bunch of other sins as well. So verse 28 is the key to understanding this. If you look, they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind. And what does that mean? So that they do what ought not to be done. So what do disordered minds have to do with how we live? Well, the point is, again, to do with how we suppress the truth. We use our minds to justify sin, to say it's okay, to justify this long list of sins that he outlines in these verses. So, do you see, envy, murder, strife, deceit, 
malice, gossip, slandering, God-hating, insolence, arrogance, boastful, doing evil, disobeying parents, senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Can you see, you know, nobody's supposed to come away from this going, oh, good, I'm glad I'm not on that list. I'm okay. No, no, the whole point is, who can not say, who, who, who can say that they're not tempted by greed or by envy or deceit? You see, sin is far more than sexual immorality. You can be happily married, you can be faithful to your spouse or contentedly single, and yet you can be living for pleasure. You can be living for now. You can be living for more and more money and stuff and experiences rather than living for God as we were created to do. And according to Paul, that is just as much a sign of judgment in our lives. Verse 32, although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do those very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Isn't that striking? Doesn't that sound very contemporary? Celebrating what God calls sin. The reason he says it's just as bad to approve of others who, who sin as to do the sin itself is because it creates a culture in which people think it, that sin is okay. Whether that is sexual sin or whether it's a casual approach to greed or to deceit or to envy. So Paul's aim here is to make the point, if you think the problem human beings face is not all that bad, if you think really we can get ourselves out of this by ourselves, then you're gravely mistaken. That's what he wants us to see, that the problem is universal, the problem is deadly serious, and only Jesus can get us out of it. No one is immune from this deadly diagnosis of sin and the wrath of God that we deserve. And yet then beyond that, no one is beyond the reach of the good news of the gospel that Paul has set out in this letter. The root question, if we're struggling with what we've heard this morning, is whether we are prepared to trust the God who made us to say, you know, for him to say what is his design for the people that he made and what isn't, especially when that is increasingly at odds with what the world around us says. Does he know best or do we know best? Is this someone we can trust? But as we go through the letter to the Romans, we will see this is a God we can trust to get the diagnosis accurate, as painful as that is to hear. But it's also a God who loves us too much to leave us as we are and has come into the world in Jesus to give us the way back to relationship with him. If you want to think further about this, we will have a, a, a Q&A session tonight after the evening service and uh, if you, you could join that online as well and there's ways to submit questions um, and that, that should start around 7 o'clock uh, if the service starts at 6. So if you want to... Um, join us then you'd be really welcome to do that and to ask questions and to think about this in a bit a bit more but for now this is the the, the aim of this is to get us to come to jesus and to stick with jesus and to trust in him with our whole lives today so let's let, let's pray now with that in our minds
Father God, we acknowledge before you that outside of Christ there is no hope that we have behaved in these ways, that we have turned our backs on you, and these things are a sign of that. And yet, we know if we are trusting in Jesus today that this is what we were, and that even though we may and will struggle with sin in different ways, we have a new identity that your attitude to us, even though we deserve your wrath, your attitude to us is now uh, one of love and of acceptance, of forgiveness. We can know you and you are working in us to change us by your Holy Spirit. So we want to cling on to Jesus and if we're not yet doing that, we've not yet come to Jesus, would you help us to do that even today? and to, to, to turn from our sin, to turn and trust in you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.